Welcome to Teaching These Days. I'm Zach Kroll. I'm Rachel Greenspan. Now, a lot of us in the teaching world use our summers as a time to travel around the country or better yet, the world. But because of COVID-19 and how it's prevented a lot of us, including myself, uh, from the opportunity to travel this summer, we've decided to live vicariously through others. So on today's pod, we'll bring you two interviews with some very well-traveled teachers. First is Adley Silk, a middle school teacher who teaches history in Memphis, who's gonna share with us some of her favorite travels and how they've impacted her lessons in the classroom. And after that, we welcome back our returning champion. Jonathan Polino is back with us. Jonathan is also quite an impressive traveler and is joining us to share um, his take on what traveling can do to kind of open your perspectives on different cultures, and help make your classroom more inclusive. Before that, as always, we'll try to find uh, something funny from our weeks with a few anecdotes. Uh, but, but first, we'll discuss some stories that really struck us this week in the segment that we call What's New in Ed News. All right, so going along with our theme here of travel, looking up the Ed News and what's going on around the world, uh, UNICEF has pulled data on access to education during this COVID time. Uh, According to Global Citizen, there are over 1 billion children that are um, out of school currently due to COVID. And UNICEF has pulled data on the access of education and what that's looked like. Um, They have encouraged um, the use of television and radios to help with education, which was super fascinating. Um, As we here in uh, the United States or wherever you're listening, the United States has really been um, uh, looking at how to use the Internet and different platforms to reach kids um, and how to get uh, access to the Internet. And so as that's been one of the um, pieces to getting access to kiddos around the globe, um, UNICEF has also looked at paper packets, TV programs, Um, government-supported digital websites, self-learning-based digital apps, um, and then also radio programs. As we all know that there are, there's a vast um, uh, variety of uh, differences in regards to uh, what access looks like to education um, from developing nations to the industrialized nations. Uh, So it's been great to read more and and see in the news what uh, all of the countries around the world have done to reach every single child um, who has been impacted by this pandemic. Um, Something that was super interesting to read about was uh, Vietnam had uh, UNICEF gave these pad and puck packages, which were tablets and Wi-Fi uh, access to help kiddos that were um, at risk and needed to continue learning in order to maintain peer-to-peer communication. So that way they weren't uh, isolated and can continue that conversation, which is definitely something that we in the States has, have uh, um, also considered in regards to keeping kids connected to their teachers and their peers. So um, Zach, that's something that I found in the Ed News around the world, uh, going along with our travel theme here. And since we can't travel, it was... Uh, it was great to see all the efforts that people have put in to keep uh, kids growing during this unfortunate time. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, definitely one thing we found is that, you know, as kind of COVID-19 and coronavirus have kind of 
really spread more and more across the world. People are getting more creative and really having to kind of dive into that, that toolkit of theirs to make sure are taken care of. I think there's a lot of really creative and ingenious ways that people are trying to help each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll, you hear so many tough stories, but it's, it's nice when you get to hear um, like, you know, the humanity and the positive stuff coming out. So I'm going to kind of shift gears and go specifically to one place. We're going to travel to the UK and we're going directly to Oxford University. Um, Cecil or Cecil Rhodes is a, might not be like a total household name, um, but he's the namesake of what a lot of people have heard of as the Rhodes Scholarship. Right? The Rhodes Scholarship is a scholarship that sends people from all over the world to Oxford University to study. And former participants include President Bill Clinton, Senator Cory Booker, um, New York Knicks star and Senator Bill Bradley, uh, a guy that my dad really grew up wa- watching, play basketball, uh, and former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, just to name a few. Um, they've all participated in this scholarship that was you know, founded and developed by um, Mr. Rhodes. Um, so in addition to that, though, he was a diamond magnet in Southern Africa but kind of above all else, he was a colonist. Um, and he was very pro-colonization of countries around the world by the United Kingdom and by other European nations. And he's actually believed to be the architect of apartheid in South Africa. But uh, just recently, I believe it was this week, the governors of Oxford University voted to remove a, a memorial statue of Rhodes that sits in front of one of their colleges. And this is actually not the first time this has happened. In, in 2015, um, there was a campaign called Roads Must Fall, and it was established and led to the removal of the road statue at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. And, you know, so that obviously was, was a big move in South Africa. You know, five years later, though, um, we're now removing this statue at Oxford University. And this one actually can more than likely be accredited to kind of all the protests of what's going on in the U.S. You know, with the killing of George Floyd, like we talked about on our last pod, that isn't just sparking outrage like all over our country. It's sparking outrage all over the world. And this is kind of one of those, you know, one of those things that, I guess, uh, been impacted by that. Like people are realizing there is systemic racism, not just in the U.S., but in other parts of the world as well. And, and people are sick and tired of you know, I guess holding up these, you know, these segregationists, these, these racists, these, you know, colonialists, these, you know, people in history who have like a very dark and kind of disturbing past. We, uh, you know, we've held them at, at such high regard without really looking into some of the, you know, more dangerous things that they have, uh, you know, they preach throughout their lives. So it, it's, it's interesting to see. And I think it's a really positive a move going forward that they're that they're willing to remove the statue of such you know a, a powerful man, albeit you know, quite controversial. So <clears throat> let's transition. Um, so those are a couple really interesting pieces from like around the world, but you know we'll we'll bring it back here. Both of us are teaching summer school right now, right? Um, you know I've got I had like fifty kids in my summer school class teaching math, <laughs> and you know it's been quite a quite a difficult experience so far i'm spending a lot of time in front of my computer i'm on the phone a lot (laughs) texting with students emailing with students calling students and parents all that 
And, you know, during the school year, you kind of hear about how, like, you know, parents don't seem to be at times as supportive of teachers uh, at the level they maybe used to be. And I'm not trying to get like old man, like back in my day stuff because I'm 31. I'm not that old. But, you know, one thing I've found with teaching summer school that's been so awesome is um, I've been calling parents and like, you know, asking for their support, asking them to help us out, making sure their kids are on top of things. And I'm getting these like hilarious responses, parents saying things like, oh, I'm an old school parent. You know, I'm going to get on to him. I don't know what he's talking about. He claims he's been working. I guess he's just been telling me lies. Like, we're going to make sure we take <laughs> care of that. Like, that is over now. And, uh, and I love it. Like, these parents are cracking me up. But they're just kind of like, you know, ripping into their kids, but making sure. Like, they're doing it in a loving way. Like, they know, okay, this is really important. You need to get this done. And we're going to make sure you pass this class because you're not getting held back. Like, you're moving on. You need to learn this. It's for your education. Um, so I've enjoyed that. That's been like a really, really positive thing. So uh, how's summer school been uh, for you? That's great. It's great that you guys uh, can all work together and hold each other accountable. And there's some humor in it, too. Um, uh, summer school, uh, it's been going well so far. Um, you know, I think this is just our new norm. And uh, it's it's uh, interesting just to keep going remotely. I think we've just uh, all adjusted and we're still waiting to see what's going on for the fall. Um, but I think we all know that remote learning is obviously a possibility as we continue to hear what's going on around the nation and all that kind of fun stuff. But, um, I think in, in general, summer school, uh, it's hard to build relationships with kids. Um, I mean, you and I both experience building relationships with kids in Israel, uh, and how short the, the summer session is. It's such a quick turnaround, the shorter day. They'd rather be outside playing in the summer, um, you know, all that stuff for summer. Same thing here. Um, and so now we have the added difficulty of doing it through a computer, right? So um, I think while we are trying to build relationships with kids through the computer, teachers have started to become very, very, very creative. Um, I've heard teachers are doing things like these virtual, uh, these virtual rides, like a water park ride or a um, amusement park ride or a Disney adventure through YouTube um, in order to get to know kids, which is so much fun. Um, and like, honestly, if I were a kiddo, I don't know that it would be, I mean, I would be going back to school whenever that time comes and I'd be like, can we go for a virtual ride? Can we throw that up on the, <laughs> on the projector or the, um, the smart, the smart board or whatever, like that's what I'm going to want to do in my free time because uh, there's just so many creative things that the, the teachers I've heard um, from friends and stuff of what they're doing in order to build um, relationships with kids through the computer. Cause it's just such a, a challenging thing to do um, on top of already having to build relationships with kids that you don't really know in summer. So um, yeah, I mean, summer school's going going well and teachers are of course always always being creative <laughs> yeah did, did you see that video there was like a video on facebook uh of this dad he had built like a little box or maybe he took like um like a laundry basket and he like put his kid in there and they're like in front of them they have like a huge tv and it's like um i guess like a digital like water slide or like oh, a water ride 
and he's like you know he's like shaking her and like moving yeah. her around and swinging her and then like i can't remember if he like you know they like splash a little water in her face yeah, or something i was gonna like, say did it was spray her with like a water a i think so I, it was super cute it, like it was awesome but yeah like you said you, you got to do the best you can with what you got and right now yeah. this is what we got yeah right all right our first interview today is with Adley Silk. Adley is a Boston native and much to my chagrin, a Patriots fan. Um, whatever. She attended the <laughs> University of Michigan where she earned a BA in history and a teaching certificate in secondary education. Uh, after she graduated from Michigan, she moved to Memphis, uh, a city I am a fan of, uh, to join Teach for America where she taught high school social studies. Uh, after TFA, she remained in Memphis, but decided to transition to middle school. For what reason, I am not sure. I have taught both. <laughs> it takes a special soul to teach middle school that I can promise you. Um, this year, she'll be teaching uh, a cl an eighth grade class called Facing History and Ourselves. And we are so excited to learn all about that. Atlee, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. So before we get into all your travel experiences, right, that's like the main reason we brought you on because you're so well-traveled, you've got awesome stories and, um, you know, we're excited to hear about that. Tell us a little more about this course you're teaching this year. Like, is it brand new? Um, is this something you've never taught before? And, you know, will it encompass some of kind of the recent protests and the recent um, social unrest that's been gathering, not just in the U.S., but globally as well? Yeah, so um, Facing History is not oh wait Ooh. okay can you hear me okay sorry. keep going okay so facing history um is not a new program um it's actually a nationwide um uh curriculum uh their headquarters is or their main headquarters is in boston massachusetts just coincidentally um but memphis is one of the few lucky cities around the country to have a satellite office um and so as the name of the program uh, kind of says, it's uh, this class is about looking um, at history and how what other people did before impact us today and what we can do um, to or what we should do um, to change things that did, that went poorly before um, and how to not repeat it again. Um, so. My class is a semester class, so I have two groups of kids um, for two quarters each. Uh, and for the first quarter of each class, um, the unit that I teach is called Holocaust and Human Behavior. And the second quarter that I teach is called Choices, and it focuses on school desegregation in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is just two hours away from Memphis. Um, so the theme of the whole class is how, um, like, what choices do communities make about different groups within those communities and what happens when marginalized groups um, are created and why are they created and what happens to them um, when, when people want to maintain power that they assume that they should have because of who they are. Um, so last year I taught uh, three, se uh, three sections each uh, semester of eighth grade facing history. Um, and then I, kind of made a hybrid class for a seventh grade uh, version of it. Obviously, at the end of the year, everything got cut short. Um, and one really great thing about my class is that we don't 
Um, we don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about a state test. I don't have to worry about making sure kids hit benchmarks by a certain date. Like it is purely learning for the sake of learning. And it's the best thing that my principal could have ever um, given me this opportunity to do. Um, I love it. And you can literally see the minds changing as, as the quarter goes on or semester goes on. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. It rocks. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. And it sounds like such a powerful class for students to be able to learn um, that piece of history and how uh, and explore like a community that's so close, uh, so close by. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, can Let's go ahead and get back to why we're here and more about uh, your travels um, and why we wanted to have you on the pod. Um, what are some of the most interesting places that you've traveled to? And do you have any fun, short little stories that you can share with us real quick? Yeah, so I think everywhere I've, in, I've traveled to has been interesting in its own way. Um, I don't want to discredit any one place to say it's not interesting, but um some of the like coolest, coolest places. Um, last summer, I went to Angkor Wat in Siem Reap, Cambodia, which was amazing. Um, I hiked the Rock of Gibraltar, which was my one of my favorite experiences. Um, I actually got attacked by a monkey uh, on the Rock of Gibraltar. Um, it is the only place in Europe. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it is the only place in Europe with <clears throat> wild monkeys and um, like you know you're just hiking up all these stairs and there are these monkeys and there are signs everywhere that say don't feed the monkeys so obviously I'm not going to feed the monkeys because the signs they look really scary like what could happen to you if you feed them but I I was traveling by myself and I had just met some people so we ended up hiking up there together and they were like oh let's go up these stairs and I was like that looks like a pretty angry monkey and they were like no it'll be fine so I'm leading the, the small group and all of a sudden, I hear someone say a word I won't repeat on this podcast. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, what's up? And they're like, there's a monkey on your back. And I was like, no, there isn't. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, there is a monkey on your back. You know, like the signs say monkeys will pull hair. Monkeys will grab you. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not trying to die on this rock, right? And so I, the only thing I can think of doing is I have my GoPro in my one of my hands. And so I'm able to turn the GoPro on and like kind of extend my arm out. So I have this really cool video of this monkey actually going into my backpack um, and taking out a granola bar, like an RX bar that I had. Um, and it's I, I show it to all of my students at the beginning of every year. Um, I just try to use my travel experiences as like life lessons or teachable moments. And this is my life lesson yeah. of like, don't freak out all the time because it's not nothing good would have come from me freaking out in this moment. Like I might not be here right now. Mm -hmm. So um, they always laugh at the, the monkey attack video. So, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> That's awesome. I, I remember last summer when you told me that story, I thought that was just like hysterical. I'm just like imagining you hiking up this mountain with this monkey, just like you know, <laughs> jumping on you and just like trying to keep your composure. It's, it's awesome. So, you know, you know, you mentioned how you were over in Cambodia. I know you traveled a ton in Southeast Asia last summer before, excuse me, before we all met up in Israel. Um, so kind of tell us like when you're traveling, right, what kind of like cultural norms have you picked up uh, and that you've learned from your travels, some things that are maybe different in different parts of the world 
uh, that maybe you didn't know or maybe you did and you got kind of like firsthand experience? Yeah. So the place that I've spent the most time is Israel. I've been there five times, um, four times in the last four years. Um, I was supposed to be there in a few days, actually, with you guys. Um, and one thing, one cultural norm that I've noticed about Israel, both being there and then watching shows on Netflix that are Israeli shows, is like the um, fast paced, like no time to waste. Uh, in, in Israel, you see that from the little, little kids in school to the top government officials, right? And everybody is always thinking four steps ahead. And, um, in Hebrew, there's this word balagan, which just means like chaos and confusion. And um, sometimes if you're in Jerusalem and you're or Tel Aviv or in any Israeli classroom, it's like it's this major balagan. Um, but that is a norm. And uh, there was someone that we heard speak last summer. Um, I don't remember who it was, but she brought up this amazing point of like in in Israel, right? everyone we say like why are our classrooms so crazy but then we look and we're like okay well we pride ourselves on being the super entrepreneurial uh that's not how you pronounce it but entrepreneurial mm-hmm. like forward thinking progressive um area so like if we stifle that in the classroom when kids are kids we're not going to have that when they're adults so that was something that really stuck with me and um that is a def- like something i try to remember in my classroom right like i don't want to stifle them i just like let kids go right because it, it will get somewhere yeah that, that's i couldn't agree more and i'm you know rach and i have absolutely both experienced that being in the classroom the last couple of years in the summers but how about like mm-hmm. um let's say over in like southeast asia you know you spent like a month plus there before you came over <laughs> what are some of the things you found and like some of the cultural norms that maybe you didn't really know about that you that you learned about while you were traveling over there yeah so um in Southeast Asia, a lot of, in, in like a lot of the um, Buddhist temples I went to, I learned a lot about like, like literally where like your height is connected to the respect, right? So like you don't stand above certain types of people and you don't like touch your feet or you don't lay down, which was just really interesting. I um, actually got a, a stick and poke tattoo from a, uh, a Buddhist monk when I was in uh, Chiang Mai and um it was really interesting to all of the intricacies of like the respectful way to do that. Um, and I don't, I don't remember all of them specifically, so I don't, I don't want to say anything incorrectly, but um, I, I think just like how you show respect in all around the world is very different depending on, on where you are. And um, for anyone who is looking to start traveling, it's really important to go and make it to do some research beforehand, even if that's the only research you do uh, like, make sure that you're not unintentionally offending someone because you don't like that when it happens to you. So you definitely wouldn't want to do that to someone else who's welcoming you as a guest in their country. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, Cause it obviously doesn't feel good either. If you're the one that is, the, you're like as the traveler and you um, do something that is not uh, culturally acceptable in the other place, like it's very uh, embarrassing and it just, it just doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so how have your, can you tell us a little bit about how your experiences, um, and travels have shaped you as a person, both personally and professionally as an educator, um, and how you view other cultures around the world? Absolutely. So, um, personally, I used to be a very, um, like I needed to have a plan at all times and know where I was going. Like my first backpacking trip was to China and I was just spending two weeks there and I had 
from the minute I landed until the minute I left, I knew exactly where I was going to be, what I was going to do while I was there, um, if I was going to be with somebody that I knew or not. Um, and in the three and a half years since I've been to China and the 12 countries I've been to since China, uh, I am at now I will literally just like book a flight into somewhere, the least expensive flight I can find and book a flight out of another city in that country two or three weeks later and then just figure it out when I get there Um, and not needing to feel in control of everything is the most free thing uh, that it's just it's absolutely amazing Um, and that has definitely extended into my um, classrooms I guess uh, as an educator Mm. right like uh, TFA talks about locus of control and I'm sure a lot of intro teaching uh, programs talk about locus of control, right? You can only control like what is going on in your classroom. You can't control the rest of the school or the world and neither should anyone. Right. But like this experience of these experiences of traveling have like shifted my understanding of locus of control and you don't even need to have control all the time. Right. Like that's totally fine. Um, and also I've just met, so many people while traveling and so that has shaped me um I definitely think I'm a friendlier person now uh, than before because when I travel alone uh I am pushing myself to interact with people that have no reason to interact with me if I'm not kind and friendly right and so um like you know everyone when you're little hopefully is taught to be nice but like being nice to your next door neighbor is different than being nice to this guy from England who you met in Vietnam and and you know that you're nice because then when you go to France for two weeks he and his girlfriend are like oh come visit us in England we'd love to have you right and like making those connections Mm -hmm. is just amazing that's that's awesome and you know you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier and kind of in, in some of the things you were talking about um but like, okay, so specifically, you know, like we, it's an education pod where, you know, we're talking about teaching and, and don't get me wrong, like we want to join here to hear about your cool experiences because none of us get to travel this summer. <laughs> um, but, you know, how have you taken some of these experiences and put them back in the classroom? Like you mentioned you, you have a ton of flexibility with this amazingly cool class that you have. So how have you taken, you know, the experiences you've had in Israel and Europe and in Southeast Asia, how have you taken those and kind of applied them to your classroom and I guess your pedagogy and your teaching? Yeah. So this was the question I was most excited about because I do this in <laughs> every class uh, that I've taught since I've started backpacking. Um, so most recently um, when I was teaching Holocaust and human behavior, um, one of my closest friends, not just from traveling, but ever, um, his name is Adar and he is Israeli and um, he, uh, we actually met on a birthright trip three summers ago. We've only ever been in the same physical space for like 14 days of our whole lives, but he is one of my best friends and he's actually the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. And so this year, um, he was able to Skype into all six sections of eighth grade facing history that I had. And he gave a PowerPoint presentation, um, 
I had the PowerPoint up on the smart board and him up on my computer. And he was talking through um, this, the history of the city that his grandmother was from and how she escaped out of a, in a potato sack out of a ghetto in Poland. And then wow. he made himself available to answer all of my students' questions. And again, like it, it's an Israel, he's in Israel. So the time he worked through the time difference and none of my eighth grade classes were close together. So he really made mm-hmm. a huge effort. Um, and then when I was teaching uh, seventh grade world history, um, the two years before this past school year, um, a lot of the places that I've been to, um, we studied and that, that wasn't really by accident. I try, I want to go to the places because it's one thing to see um, the great wall of China in a book and be like, you can see it from space, but it's another see seeing your teacher with a, taking a selfie, right. Or dabbing on the great wall of China. Like, um, when I went to Spain <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I went to Spain and I made sure, you know, we studied the Spanish inquisition and we studied the, um, the spread of Islam from uh, the Arabian Peninsula through Northern Africa um, and into Spain with the Moors. And so when I went to the rock of Gibraltar, you can see across the Strait of Gibraltar into Morocco, right? So to be able to take a video and be like, that's where Islam came from, right? After the Arabian Peninsula, this is the water. You can, it's like not, it's not big. This is the water. Just like you can see across the Mississippi River down here, you can see across the Straits of Gibraltar into Morocco, right? And so to be able to like tangibly show my students uh, that that what we're teaching isn't just because it's in a textbook, but because it it's real is like the the greatest joy. It's the best. Wow, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> you uh, it sounds like you've also uh kind of tapped into that remote learning before. We've all had to do this distance learning and uh, having your friend from Israel uh call on in from from overseas. But um, it's incredible that you really. I mean, you go above and beyond taking your travels into the classroom. You actually go to the places that you're studying um, to give that um, not only for your own experience of travel, but also to give that opportunity to your students. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's, you know, it's the, I guess the class, the class you have and like, you know, the subject you teach really lends itself to that. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't really take advantage of that, but you do, which is, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, kudos to you. Um, real quick, before we got to let you go, um, COVID obviously has ruined, you know, a lot of plans. Uh, I know you had talked a lot about Greece because I was there last summer for uh, a week or so. And so we kind of swapped some notes. Um, post COVID, where are we going? Okay. So where where are you going? The goal for, um, winter break is to lead another trip to Israel with Shorashim. Um, I just love watching people experience Israel for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. Especially like I was first there when I was 16 and I paid more attention to who was sitting next to me on a bus every day than like the, what <laughs> I was actually seeing. So, uh, and, <laughs> and, and my own birthright experience was just insane. It brought me a dart, right? And it, it just, it was wonderful. Um, and then next summer, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I might have a wedding in July. So I would have to work around that. Um, so hopefully Greece, maybe, you know, do another birthright trips to get to Israel and that part of the world and then extend that trip and, um, go to Greece and Croatia. Um, I was also, uh, when our summer program was canceled, I had, I got tickets to do, uh, Greece, Bosnia, 
Albania, Serbia, and Croatia. Um, so that that maybe will be next summer. But again, I'll go anywhere, <laughs> anywhere they'll have me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, nice. Atlee, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, talking with us yeah. about your travels, some of your funny experiences with monkeys attacking you. <laughs> And, um, you know, talking about how you get to kind of relate this into the classroom. It's, it's been so really much. cool. It's been really interesting. I think we've definitely learned a lot. So. Oh, thanks so much for having yeah. me, guys. This was so great. Welcome back, Jonathan. It's so great to have you. We know you've been busy closing out the school year, working on your doctorate, making some hollow with mom while living back <laughs> in Long Island. Um, it's so great to see you. Do you have any positive remote uh, learning experiences from the last few weeks? What is up? All I can say is the gang is back together. Um, what's up, guys? Uh, it's really great to see you all. Um, life has been good. It's been really busy the past couple of weeks. Um, and living at home has presented some uh, really interesting challenges <laughs> moving back in with mom and dad. But uh, it's been really great to spend some time with them. Today, we actually had our uh, virtual graduation. So it was, like, really cute. Um, nice. And the kids had a really uh, good time. We weren't. We were, we were kind of torn between doing it live and um, having like a pre-recorded. And mm -hmm. I know that on Friday we had our dance and there were like a lot of technical issues. So I think, um, you know, they wanted to air on the side of caution. So we ended up um, doing like a pre-recorded like YouTube video that parents and families can, you know, log on and watch. So it was really cute. It was a good day. It was a positive day. Nice. Yeah. Good, good, good. All right. So Jonathan. You are a well-traveled young man. Thank you. Um, besides just seeing your beautiful face and having you back so we can, you know, shoot the stuff and have some fun, uh, we wanted to talk with you about some of your travels. Yeah. So tell, sure. tell us about some of your travels. You're an incredibly well-traveled person. Um, you know, what have you learned from your travels? And there's this really cool phrase that Rach and I were talking about um a while ago and i think maybe this is something from you like what does it mean to be an ethical traveler yeah um so i love traveling i would say traveling is probably my most um my most favorite uh, as well as my most expensive hobby uh that i have um so, so <laughs> far i've traveled to about 45 countries in total um and i love the ability to learn uh, when I travel, I think that's what I enjoy most about it. And, I, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's really interesting when you travel and you, you know, get to meet new people. The one thing that I that I kind of picked up from all the different countries that I've traveled to is this idea that there, there really truly is a lot more that like we have in common than divides us, regardless of culture and country. And what makes us all so special is that we're all so different, right? And we all have these amazing cultures and like different traditions and different ideas. But at the same time, there's this idea that kind of travels throughout all cultures, which is every one just wants better for their children's generation than what they had. Um, and I found that to be a pretty powerful statement um, and a pretty powerful like ideological idea that 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 everyone kind of speaks to whenever I talk to them or whenever you know I even talk to people here and you know in different states, um, so that that's kind of like what I think I've taken away from my traveling the most, um, mm -hmm. you know, over the past couple of years that you know everyone just wants a better a better future for their children. Cool. Nice. All right. So like, but just tell us about a couple of places 
you know, you got you got real deep. Classic Jonathan got real, real deep on us, which we love. But t- <laughs> tell us about some of like your favorite places you've traveled to. Give us like, uh, give us like a quick little like top five or top ten. Oh, okay. So, I so obviously I would have to put Israel on the list, right? Um, love Israel. Um, love Croatia. Um, South Africa was unbelievable. Uh, I really like Botswana, which is also a country in the southern part of uh, Africa. Um, really loved, loved Iceland. Iceland's a great country. Um, super fun. A lot of like really awesome people there. Um, trying to think, oh, love Japan. Japan is definitely (laughs) another great country that I actually traveled Japan last summer. Um, and yeah, I I would say those are like my top, like five, six favorite countries that I've been to. Nice. Can you tell us more about what it means to be an ethical traveler? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting because when I, whenever I travel and I see other people and I see other, like, regardless of what country you're in or where you come from, I think mm-hmm. the golden rule is just to like treat people the way you would want other travelers to treat you in, in your own country. Um, and, you know, I, there's just like, there's a lot of like different schools of thoughts in terms of like what makes someone an, an ethical traveler, but like something that I've noticed and I think are just like basic ground rules is this idea of like having common courtesy. So like asking someone to take a picture of them before you take a picture. Like I, I see these travelers sometimes just without their iPhones, wherever they are and just take pictures of people. And like, that's weird. And like uncalled for. And like, if I was walking in New York city and someone just took out a picture of me, I would be like, what? Like, I don't like, I know I'm pretty, yeah. but like, I'm not that pretty. Right? Like, so I, I like, so like that's something that I've learned. Um, thinking about how you can reduce your carbon footprint, um, I think is important just from like an environmental uh, standpoint. Um, don't volunteerism, which is this idea of like going to foreign countries and like like volunteering. And none of you can see me because this is a podcast, but I'm putting like volunteering in quotes because like more times than not, a lot of these like volunteer programs are centered upon like the volunteer and not the people that they're supposedly helping. And they cause more a lot more harm than good um Mm. and i i think the overall like idea of like the fact that you're in someone else's country learning their way of life is such a gift and you have to humble yourself because nobody owes you anything in this world right so Mm -hmm. like really making sure that you're like super humble about the fact that that you're a guest in someone else's home and you're there to learn um yeah and i you know i i I think that all these kind of things just um, kind of all encompassed around treating people when you travel the same way you would want someone to treat you in your own home country. Oh, mm-hmm. and super important, which I always <laughs> forget about this, but it's like really important. I really think when we travel, we should be very mindful and careful of where we spend our money. So like trying to spend more locally in the communities that we're like visiting as opposed to like staying in like hotels and like, you know, giant, giant, like, chains of like the travel industry and try to like buy more local and stay in hostels and airbnbs as opposed to you know hotels or you know buy in like a local shop as opposed to like a starbucks kind of thing you know just to kind of like help the economy a little bit where you are i don't know so that's what What, i think it means to be an ethical traveler what about a stars and bucks is is that acceptable stars and bucks that was okay so for for the for the listeners by the way how many (laughs) listeners you guys have nowadays can we say listeners with an it's S. about the same. It's yeah, listeners are the next. Okay, so my mom. So my, hi, mom. Um, 
no, so for the listeners or the viewers, whatever, uh, who don't know, so uh, I went to when I was in Israel, I went to the to the West Bank, and in their mm-hmm. capital, um, I guess there are no Starbucks, uh, and so they there was just like knockoff chain called Stars and Bucks, not Starbucks, which I thought was really creative and very clever, um, <laughs> capitalizing on the chain, but I like it. I was here. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. Um, Great. Thanks for sharing your advice on that and what it means to be an ethical travel, uh, ethical traveler. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about how your travels? I mean, you've been to, you've had the opportunity to go to many places around the world. Um, how has this shaped you as an educator? Yeah, uh, it's shaping me in a few different ways. I, I think it's made me more aware of the world around me, and it's kind of allowed me to decenter myself as a person, which has allowed me to decenter myself as an educator. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's really like two overarching ways I think that I've changed. One is just, I think it's made me a little bit grittier in the sense of like, you know, sometimes when you're traveling, things don't always go the way that you plan, right? You miss the train, you miss the bus, the reservation fell through, so on and so forth. And I think you need to be able to like think quick on your feet and be able mm-hmm. to kind of be really flexible and I think about you know in the classroom those are two qualities that make a really strong educator right being able to be flexible and being able to think on your feet so I think that it's just kind of taken those two constructs and like enhanced my ability to really use them to really be flexible and really think uh, on my feet um, and then it's also allowed me to like uh, really think about like how how and what I teach in my classroom Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to like learn from so many amazing people um, in so many different countries and learn so many things that I didn't learn when I was in school, which kind of made me stop and think a little bit about who's in power and who's telling the story mm-hmm. and what are those stories that we're telling our children or not our children, our students um, as uh, educators. So it's made me be a little bit more reflective in the fact of thinking about how I can decenter what I teach to a more multicultural curriculum as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of having like that one view of, of the dominant culture. Okay. While traveling, you, um, I'm sure you have interacted and met a bunch of people around the world um, and built relationships with people. How have you used your relationship building skills like with people from all over the world to build relationships with your students or with your colleagues who may also come from uh, different cultural backgrounds? Yeah, um, I think it's important to, and, and, and again, this idea of like, of like decentering yourself is something that I've really kind of learned through traveling and in and, and that like, not necessarily, I mean, it's important to like share, you know, multiple perspectives, but like to, to also be able to think about how you as a person kind of center yourself around like, this doesn't make sense. Let me start over. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, as I'm speaking, you know, like as a teacher, sometimes like you're talking and then you're like, does this sentence have an end? <laughs> All you know? the time. And then Every day. it was one of those moments. Um, <laughs> okay. I think it's important as, as a person and as an educator to think about how your past experiences have shaped, you know, the way that you view the world. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, for people who don't travel so often, sometimes 
it takes a little bit longer to recognize that their past experiences really shape the way they view the world. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, being able to see other cultures and meet other people and not only see like basic level of like what they're wearing or, you know, like the food and like, you know, that kind of stuff, but even digging a little bit deeper in terms of, you know, how do different cultures in different countries address conflict? How do different countries and different cultures deal with communication, right? Things of that nature, um, which are a little bit deeper than just like the stereotypical, like very surface level, you know, food and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and clothing, right? Like understanding those things and has allowed me to kind of gain a, a more, a more holistic perspective in terms of understanding how other people even here in the States come with different experiences and how that shapes their perspective. So it's allowed me yeah. to kind of take myself out of the conversation, like decenter myself a little right. bit. By being immersed in the culture. Um, yeah. In all the different countries. Great. Thanks. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And you actually touched on something that, um, you know, we interviewed Atlee earlier and Atlee, you know, had something very similar, some of the same stuff that, that you were saying as well. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how like you know, your experiences you can kind of take back into the classroom and and kind of how it's kind of like trained you, especially with that idea of being more flexible. You know, flexibility yeah. in the classroom, you know, gets reinforced when you travel because things aren't going to work out exactly how you want. You know, yeah. stuff happens. So it's very obvious uh, based off the conversation we've had with both of you guys that you know, traveling is so important um, to kind of get outside of your comfort zone and be able to experience something totally different, a brand new set of cultures, new food, new traditions, um, all of that. And it, you know, really kind of humbles you and allows you to become a, you know, a, a more well-rounded person. So for educators that don't travel, right? Cause there are some teachers that spend their summers at the pool. There are some teachers who spend their summers just like relaxing and chilling and like, don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say there are some educators who are a little nervous and they want to travel, but they don't know what to do. So where would you recommend they travel first, right? To kind of take that first step to kind of get outside their comfort zone and explore. Um, and then for those who do travel, so kind of like a second part, those who do travel, where would you recommend they kind of push themselves a little further? Mm. So the ones who don't travel at all will be a great first step in the ones who do travel. Where should they try to push themselves a little further to try to go and see? Yeah, I, you know, I actually think like the advice for both of those questions are kind of the same. I, I think that like from a media standpoint and even from talking to people like we have these perceived notions of countries that are safe and countries that are not safe. And like, I mean, I, I've traveled to quite a few different countries and I, I, I just I felt safe everywhere that I've gone. Right. And like, I, I'm not saying like we should march into like North Korea right now. Right. Because I mean, that's just like a pretty like a pretty fair statement that like that's just not a, a safe place for us right now but like this idea of like safe countries and not safe countries and like oh i can only go to europe because it's safe it's just it's just not i haven't found that it's based in really any facts um so like you know i think that there's safe and dangerous parts of every country and you know every city on the you know on this planet um so i think you have to be smart but i think the advice is if you want to go somewhere just go do your research and you know definitely be like well informed but don't let other people and don't let things that you've watched kind of sway you know or scare you from going to a particular country because it's quote unquote dangerous or not safe because i i I, through my experiences haven't found that to really be true so i think it's all about just 
pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And if you want to go and you're like well informed and you know what's going on and you know, you know, the different areas of the country, I, I, I think you should just go for it because traveling is amazing. It is, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but uh, it goes something to the effect of it's just the only thing that you spend money on that makes you richer. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, you have told us uh, previously, not on the pod, um, but like knowing you personally, you've told us that you have friends that are educators all around the world. Um, can you tell us what you've learned from them that you've brought back uh, to your classroom? So if you mm. think back to some of your friends that are teaching around the world, yeah. um, what are one or two things that you've learned from them uh, as they teach in another country uh, that maybe you've taken back as an educator or have made a mental note of? That's a really great question. Different life lessons that I've learned, or not life, but like classroom lessons. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So maybe from somebody from Israel, like working with one of your co-teachers in Israel. Um, I think you mentioned you had a friend in Budapest that was teaching. Yeah. A friend in Jordan. Um, Yeah, I would would say that I think the, the thing that unites educators the most from talking to other educators is this mm-hmm. idea of relationship building with students and how regardless of whatever country you're in, any planet, uh, any planet, any country you're on, <laughs> on this planet, I don't have any, any teacher friends in Mars. I don't. Um, but this, this idea of like any, anywhere you go that building relationship with students is the most important thing and it comes mm-hmm. first right it it's it, it, sure of course right we have to teach students whatever content it is that we're teaching but like before that happens we, we need to have those strong uh, relationships with our kids and through my conversations with with educators from really all corners of the earth they everyone kind of is on the same page with that that's kind of like a given we can't teach before we have meaningful relationship with students nice i think that's awesome and you know with that i think uh i think we'll probably leave it there i think that's a great a great way to end it you know the relationships you build with your kids is yeah is the most important just like the relationships you build with people while you travel um that's Mm -hmm. the people you meet are probably obviously the experiences are really important but i think a lot of us who have traveled know that the people that we meet along those travels can uh, can really make those travels even better. They really can enhance them. So absolutely, Jonathan, you have no idea how much this means to us to have you back on the pod. Thanks Thank for you having so me. much for having us. I miss you guys. Um, I so just said thank you for you. having us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, we'll talk to you absolutely. Soon. Thanks, man. All right, peace, guys. Bye. Thank you guys for listening to Teaching These Days. We know you um, educators out there this summer usually take time for relaxing and travel. So um, we appreciate you listening. Seeing as we can't travel right now, we hope that you are able to live vicariously through our guests. Don't forget that this will end. And when it does, um, have your trips planned. Maybe you have uh, found a couple new places to go after listening. We all know that you deserve a trip. Uh, Thank you, Jonathan and Atlee. We appreciate you for being on 
the pod. And as always, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever, um, either on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your pods. Uh, Rate us, review us, and most importantly, tell your friends, all of your educator friends. We will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.